Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick. This is episode number 41 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. This week at The Mandolin Cafe, actually today as I'm recording this this uh, intro, they had a Kim Warner interview that is just great. Kim's been doing some inspirational live streams and his album's excellent as well. You should definitely check it out. But go check out that article at Mandolin Cafe. And I want to give Kim and, um, and Mark at Collings... A huge thank you. They helped me satisfy my mandola envy, and um, we worked together and got a beautiful mandola here in my hands that I've been monkeying around with for the last past couple weeks. I'm going to do some recording with it here in the next few days of a couple things I've worked out that I'm really excited about. So thank you to Kim, Mark, and also this week it's brought to you by the Mandolins of Beer Patreon page. Um, I really want to take a few minutes and first off thank all my uh, patrons I really, really appreciate it, and it's been a huge help, especially during this uh, this downtime of zero gigs. I've been getting quite a few emails asking questions about soloing and how to pick out melodies of tunes they might not be familiar with, and then also soloing around the melody of the tunes that they're working on. Uh, so, starting this week, I'm going to be doing two songs a month, roughly three videos per song of basically how to pick out the melody of a tune if you're not necessarily familiar with it or even if you are for when you go to a jam so how to find the melody and then um, the second video will be some different approaches you can take uh, via double stops or uh, tremolo or licks and then the third video will be a composition of uh, a solo that I would play over a certain track kind of combining all three things uh, this first week is going to be uh, feast here tonight or rabbit in a log and uh, the other cool thing about these, I think, is you're going to learn a little bit of theory without maybe necessarily knowing that you're learning theory. And the key to that is, um, and, and, and the reason why I picked Rabbit in a Log is because I play it in G. A lot of people play it in D. But I'm going to show you a technique that once you learn the melody, you'll be able to just transfer it over pretty easily to whatever key you're playing it in just by knowing um, the note value, the number of the note, I should say, in the scale. So it's really, really easy, and uh, I'm excited for it. So yeah, it's going to be two songs a month. I think that's not too much for me to bite off. Should be three videos per song, all tabbed out, and I'm going to try to focus on uh, just a bunch of different songs that you might encounter at jams, and I'm excited for it, and it's only eight bucks a month. Um, you can go to my Patreon page and also just do four bucks a month if you just want to support the page, but if you do eight dollars a month, you can get um, all the videos and tabs that are out there now. There's some 10-minute-a-day stuff. I'm actually going to be doing another 10-minute-a-day video uh, from something that Jack talked about, just the different positions of the uh, triads and arpeggios. So that's another one that I'm going to be putting up there this week. And all this stuff, you get all of them for 8 bucks a month. So with that said... The best way to support the podcast, though, is still the freebie. That's just subscribing. It's going to my Instagram page and following my Instagram page and going to my Facebook page and following that. I'm going to get into this interview here now with Jack Dunlap here in just a second. He's such a great player and so nice. Uh, it's a great attitude, and he's doing online lessons, as so many players are. By the way, I got an uh, email from uh, Isaac Eicher uh, as a just to let me know that a couple listeners signed up for lessons with them. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for supporting these artists. It's really, really important um, at all times, but especially this time. So uh, thank you again to Isaac. And uh, I know I mentioned Emery Lester was going to be the guest uh, at the end of last week's podcast, but we had some scheduling conflicts. Um, but I had Jack on the docket already. Anyhow, so this worked out perfectly. So next week will be Emery Lester. 
And uh, let's get into the episode here with Jack. Cheers, everybody. Thank you so much. Be sure to go to the Spotify playlist and listen to the full versions of the tunes that are available on Spotify uh, from this episode. All right. Thank you so much. Now I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Jack Dunlap. Jack, how you doing today? Oh, not too bad. How are you doing? Good, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this today. Where are you? Uh, where are you? Absolutely. Where are you calling in from? Where do you call home? Oh, I'm calling from my home in Winchester, Virginia. Nice. Nice. How's the weather there today? It's a little chilly, Is windy. It? It's supposed to, yeah, we're supposed to get some nice spring weather this weekend. So Nice. Looking forward to that. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Well, we, um, yeah. I, I, I think we probably should start off right with this. Obviously, um, a lot of people have had some downtime here with the pandemic stuff that's been going on. And um, I, I was going to ask you what you've been up to, but what you've been up to is putting out a killer album called The Isolation Session. talk a little bit about that right off the get-go yeah absolutely well um i this this is kind of a a crazy project for me i had absolutely no plans of doing this two months ago (laughs) (laughs) when uh even when quarantine started i i I had no idea that i would be doing this but um i guess it i started to think about doing a a solo mandolin project like this Mm -hmm. Probably back in like 2014 or 2015, a really long time ago, uh, in music years. Um, but then Sierra Hole came out and said she was going to do basically the same project that I was going to do, and I was like, <laughs> "Well, <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to look like I'm. I'm trying to copy Sierra Hole. <laughs> sure. You know, everybody. Yeah. So I I started planning a slightly different project um, where I added a drummer. And that's how it became different. <laughs> um, but that that eventually uh, ended up being the the album that I released last year um, under the Jack Dunlap band. It's called The Adventures of Captain J. Lap and Major Jamage. Eventually, I added a saxophone to that band too. Yeah, yeah, it's a super fun band. Uh, I love playing with those guys, and it uh, it ended up being my main project later that year, which I, I'm I'm pretty happy with because it's uh it, it's just it's the kind of music that I want to play. It's just fun, like super laid back stuff. Um, but 
anyway, I've done a few more projects with them just last year. Um, and I was actually in the middle of another Jack Dunlap band project when quarantine happened. Uh-huh. So I couldn't get with the guys to work on that. And I figured now would be a good time to start working on the solo project that I was thinking about five years ago. <laughs> cool. So, um, yeah, and I'd, I'd actually started thinking about it too when uh, the band I usually play with, Buds Collective. I got myself in this mess I'm in. Playing a game that I can't win Cause loving you there is no price I give you my heart, you give me goodbye But I'm always here waiting for more Um, lost our banjo player, Gina Furtado, mm-hmm. yep. who a lot of people know Um, so we, we were on the fence of either hiring another banjo player or sticking as a trio, mandolin, guitar, bass, um, which was actually another idea I had, just doing a mandolin project with just mandolin, uh, guitar, and bass. So when that happened, I was like, well, I'll just take the guitar out <laughs> for this project because I don't want it to sound like another, like, Bud's Collective. I didn't want it to sound like that. I wanted it to sound something different, something that was its own thing. What's really cool, you saying that, is um, even knowing that it was just a mandolin and bass project before I started listening to it. I, I didn't even really realize there was no acoustic guitar. I mean, just I, just a thought crossed my mind to like probably halfway through the album, like, man, I can't believe there's no acoustic guitar on this, which it just sounds really full. You cover the spectrums nice. Yeah, that's something that I, I had to learn how to do that when, well, Butts Collective used to be a five-piece. We used to have a dover player named Galen Largent, who plays for Daly and Vincent now. Um, so I, I went from just being, you know, a regular bluegrass mandolinist, you know, just playing on the two and the four to having to fill all this space rhythmically. Um, even though we still had a banjo player, I didn't have to do that much. Um, so when Gina left, I had to fill up the space that the Doro had and the space that she was putting in. <laughs> so I had to start coming up with different ways to play bluegrass rhythm. Uh, and then when I started the Jack Dunlap band, now I don't have any guitar at all. <laughs> so I have a drummer. Um, so the rhythm, the, the way that I have to, the way that I think about rhythm with that band is completely different than the way I think about rhythm with a bluegrass band or even with a, with a trio with guitar and bass and mandolin. So um, I'm always trying to figure out different ways to, to fill up that space, you know, to make a, to, to make a good groove happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, I was talking to somebody about this the other day, just how they've noticed the rhythm that I do evolved over the past few years. You know, as, uh, as I, as I lose instruments, I guess, on my project. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, uh, you know, I, I try to think about, I, I'm sure, and I know a lot of people have talked about this too, but I think about the bluegrass rhythm section just as one single drum kit. So, so the bass would be the kick, the mandolin would be the snare. Um, I think about the banjo as the hi-hat because it's constantly going. Sure. And the guitar is just like the toms that puts in the filler stuff and helps so hold everything together. Um, 
so as as we as I lose those pieces of the drum set, I have to figure out a way to make that happen on the mandolin. <laughs> so um so yeah, so I, I have this way of doing it where I'll I'll play the chords just on the G and the D strings mm-hmm. and that's kind of that's kind of my bass line. And then uh of course the snare. I'll hit the snare between the, the bass lines. Um and then I, I use my A and my E as my like my hi hat, so I have those constantly going. Right, ringing out. And then uh yeah, and then I just I have to figure out how to play filler tom notes in between all that stuff. <laughs> but um On the on the album, what's what's one of the songs that you think really best illustrates that for somebody to to really get an idea of what you're talking about? What would what song off this album would you pick for them to, to give that representation of that rhythm style? So Probably so the the two and the two originals that I have on there that are um, that I wrote the that I wrote words to mm-hmm. are Wayward Bound and Ride and I would say those. Um, just because they're my my songwriting is very groove oriented, mm-hmm. so I, I yeah definitely I, I think you can hear that more because with the instrumentals I'm not playing as much rhythm. Sure, I'm doing sure. more lead stuff. So if you listen to those two songs, I think you can hear the most of of my ideas coming out of that rhythmically. And then, um, how long ago did you, are these like new songs, any of these newer songs, or are these songs that you've been working on for a while and it just, then it just happened to come together with this timing or? Yeah, the, I think the oldest song, at least for, or at least the oldest original of mine mm-hmm. on the album is Journey to the Forbidden Forest. That's one, I think I've, I've, I have videos of that floating around somewhere from 2014 or 2015. But I, I just never had a project that I felt fitted that song or that song fitted that project until now. Right. Um, and then the newest one would probably would probably be Ride. Um, and that one's about two months old, maybe less. Oh, wow. Nice. Uh, no, no. No, we're in May now. <laughs> I keep thinking it's <laughs> yeah. March. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, who, who knows what month we're in anymore? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, either way, I wrote that one earlier this year. So that's definitely that's my newest song that I've written. Cool, and I really like the uh, the three jigs that you do there near the end as well. 
Yeah, yeah. So that's um, those are three of my favorite jigs to play, and I've always wanted to. I came up with that arrangement. Um, I think when I was when I was first started playing my first solo project, um, I, I wanted to have a representation of sort of where I come from and where my family comes from. Uh, both sides of my family have origins in Ireland. Um, so, and, and I grew up with, uh, traditional Celtic music with my mom. Oh, cool. So, yeah. So this, the song is, um, the song is a, is just a representation of, of my, of where I come from my culture. And it's, it's also, uh, that's how sort of how a band that I listen to a lot, uh, called the Irish Rovers would, would, uh, arrange their instrumentals. They would put, three reels together and just call it three reels or three jigs together and call it three jigs. So that's where that comes from. three jigs i think i know one of them um the, this sounds like swallowtail jig was in there yeah the swallowtail jigs at the end yeah um uh, that's that's probably the uh <laughs> the the bluegrass mandolin players irish song <laughs> right chris feely's <laughs> mandolin dvd yo that's right yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that's where i went that one from uh as, but the first song is, is one called the barney pilgrim and uh the second one is merrily kiss the quaker and then that leads into Swallowtail Jig. Oh, cool. And so you got into music, well, not music, Irish music from your mom, but how did you get into mandolin altogether? Well, that's also thanks to my mom. Uh, when I was 11, she wanted to learn how to play fiddle. So there's and my, well, there's six kids in my family. Um, I've got two older siblings. And uh, my older brother plays guitar and mandolin and banjo and fiddle and Anything but strings, you can play it. Um, so I've always been around, you know, he's he's been playing since before I was born. So I've always been around somebody playing music. So when my mom started to learn fiddle, me and my three younger sisters were learning with her. And I played fiddle for about two weeks until I found one of my brother's old mandolins. And I was like, well, this is a lot easier. <laughs> I'm just going to do this from now on. <laughs> yeah, so that's how I got into mandolin. There's no you know, romantic story with it or anything. It's just, it was easy. <laughs> so, oh, that's great. Or it was easier than, it was easier than playing fiddle. Did you, um, <laughs> did you start on Irish music or did you start on bluegrass? Um, I actually started learning John Denver songs. Oh, did you really? <laughs> uh, I learned, yeah. Uh, my mom, my mom played guitar when she was a teenager, and John Denver is one of her favorite artists. So she taught us, or she taught me some John Denver songs, just the chords. I would just strum along with the CD, um, and then I discovered Adam Steffi and Mountain Heart. Uh, that was I was I started playing right when they did the Wide Open album.
so that was kind of my uh yeah that was kind of my my album for like two or three years oh, that's <laughs> my favorite awesome. thing in the world so yeah um but yeah, i got super into adam steffi which of course led me down to the bluegrass path and i was um yeah i was all about steffi's playing for at least the the first six years anything that i listened to had to have him on it <laughs> or <laughs> it's a good I way to go about it <laughs> right <laughs> yeah yeah, it was it was a good starting point for me, I think, because then after that I started to get more into Feely and Sam Bush. So I feel like I feel like I got those traditional um, standings, at least from Steffi's point of view, before I got into some of the weirder stuff. <laughs> Are there any Steffi albums that people might not be familiar with? Any hidden Steffi gems that you know about? <laughs> no, not that I know of, unless uh, somebody's just not really aware of, of Steffi. <laughs> yeah, you know what? The one that always um, the first time I ever heard something, I think where I recognized his playing that didn't have his name on it. Oh my God! Now I'm not going to be able to think of the name of it. Now uh, it had cold. It was came up on the uh, Sirius XM. It had "Cold Sheets of Rain." Was the tune on? Oh, there. was it uh, Clay Jones's album? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's that's funny. I got into that album, um, and I actually wrote Clay a letter telling him how much I loved it. I was like fourteen or something like that. <laughs> cool man. And uh, <laughs> he he wrote me back. It was the coolest thing in the world for me at the time. And uh, and then I went to Merlefest and ran into him on the shuttle bus, and I was like, "Hey, Clay, it's me, Jack." And he was like, "Jack, what?" <laughs> like he 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 knew. Like he he remembered me from the letter, and then a few years later, I got to record on an album with him. Oh, did so you I got really? to spend a couple of days in the studio. Yeah. No kid. What's what's the album? That was um uh, an album by Robert Mabe called Somewhere in the Middle. It's got a crazy cast of characters on it. Uh, it's me and Robert and Clay and uh, Patrick McAvenue and uh, a bass player named David Shepard from Philly, who's just a great bass player. So that was um, definitely one of my favorite sessions I've ever done was that one. Wow. So when you really started digging into the mandolin then and started playing out and performing, what did that kind of look like for you? Uh, well, I started performing almost right away. Uh, my older brother, Buddy, he's he's always performed. You know, he he played with a gospel band for a couple of years, and then he started his own band and went off and started touring around. So um, that that was just kind of the natural thing for me, I guess, was to start playing gigs. So I would just go to like family reunions or my boss's party and set up a sound system, and me and my younger sister Elizabeth would just 
play and do whatever. Um, and then it, I guess it was a little, a couple of years before I actually started a band where we actually worked up material and went out and, and did shows. Um, that was actually with my sister-in-law, my, my brother's wife and, uh, Gina Furtado and her ex-husband Paul played bass. So, um, yeah, we played a few festivals like that, uh, had a couple regular gigs around the area. And then I, uh, I started a band called Banana Express with, uh, with my little sister. Oh, and uh, that is a cool name, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't talk about that very much, but uh, <laughs> um, but actually, I didn't play mandolin with Banana Express. I played guitar, and uh, my brother-in-law Taylor, who's married to Elizabeth now, played mandolin, and he's an excellent mandolin player as well. Uh, his brother is uh, Jesse Baker, who used to play for uh, Daily and Vincent, oh, and okay. Mike Cleveland and Doyle Lawson. Yeah, yeah, wow. Um, yeah, and they they had a band together when they were teenagers called the Baker Boys, and there's some uh, there's some good got some good stuff on those Baker Boys album, some good mandolin and banjo playing. Nice. Um, yeah, and then my little sister Mary played bass with that project, um, or with with Banana Express. So I played we played around as that quartet for a year, two years, something like that, uh, and then my brother started Butts Collective and. Uh, Gavin, Gavin and I, Gavin grew up, you know, pretty close to me. We're both from Winchester. So we, we would go around and just play all the time. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. So we would, um, we were actually trying to start a bluegrass band because Banana Express wasn't really a bluegrass band. It was, it was acoustic, Mm -hmm. but we did a lot of old time songs and a newer style. Um, so I, I was wanting to do more bluegrass stuff. So he and I were getting together with Gina and we were just playing some bluegrass stuff. Um, and then we went over to Buddy's house. Buddy was getting ready for a show in his barn. Um, and, uh, we were helping them set up the sound system and stuff. And we did a sound check and we really, it was, it was me and Gavin and the bass player for Butts Collective, and Buddy. And we really liked how tight it felt. So a couple of weeks later, Buddy asked me if we'd be interested in starting a band, uh, which became Butts Collective, and that's where I was for about seven years. Wow, cool. Playing mandolin. Yeah. No kidding. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's definitely where I've gotten the most experience um, on the road up until now. Uh, but yeah, so that's playing gigs, I guess, was just the natural set for me. Yeah, <laughs> it's just what cool. people do yeah, in yeah. my world. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you kind of knew pretty early on then that this is going to be like mandolin is where it's, or music, I should oh, say. Oh, yeah. 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 I think, yeah, the, the first festival that I went to where I could actually jam with people, I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life, hands down. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's nothing better than this. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, what kind of stuff? I know you talked about Thiele and Bush after Steffi. Um, what kind of um, learning were you doing then? Were you like sitting down and transcribing tunes? Or I know you mentioned the Feely DVD. What are some of the things that helped you get to this, to the to the style of playing that you play now? Because you are a fiery player. <laughs> You've got, you definitely got some chops, man. Well, thank you. Um, I 
I didn't really, I, I transcribed a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. I think, in the first few years of my playing. I, I just I just wanted to learn what they were doing. Um, but when I when I started to get into, like, Sam Bush and Feely, well, when I started, I guess when I started to get out of just listening to Adam Steffi, <laughs> and, was, I, <laughs> and, like, it, getting into Grisman and Feely and Sam Bush and all those guys, I I was less about... I was also about figuring out what they were doing mm-hmm. and and trying to figure out where they were coming from with their ideas. Because what I what I love most about I, I love I love all those players for different reasons. Uh, Sam, I love his groove. You know, Sam is my favorite mandolin player. That's what I tell people, and uh, of course it's true. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's hard to you know it's hard to say like when somebody says who's your favorite player who influences you the most. I I can't just give one answer. I have to give twenty answers for for all of these reasons. <laughs> um, but I love, I love Sam hands down. He's my favorite. Um, but just his, his groove is, it's just always there. It's always perfect. No matter what he's playing. Um, you know, he just rips your face off. It doesn't matter. <laughs> and that's what I love. I love that. Um, but then Thiele, Thiele, of course, technically you can't get any better than him. Uh, I, and, and of course, and his ideas, he, he just comes, he comes with. It feels like he's coming up with these off the wall ideas, but whenever whenever I hear him explain what he's doing, it's like, wow, that makes perfect sense. Of course, why? <laughs> this isn't that weird. <laughs> um, so, I, I remember the first time I ever noticed that was when I was watching a Punch Brothers interview. They were talking about movement and location. So this is when Who's uh, Feeling Young Now first came out. He explained the song, and to me, it was just some weird song that they came up with random arrangements to. And uh, when he actually explained it, I was like, huh, okay, so there actually is something to this. So um, so that's, it was about that point that I started to, to think more about arranging and, and composition, mm-hmm. which, is, which, is what I, which is more of what I focus on now. I, I focus on a lot of uh, my own composition rather than trying to figure out what everybody else is doing. If you had to pick between writing instrumental songs and writing vocal tunes, what would you pick? Um, well, I am definitely an instrumentalist, uh, for sure. I, I don't describe myself as a singer, even though I sing. Um, so I, and, and writing instrumentals comes way easier for me than writing lyrics, uh, which I, I talk to some people and, and they're the exact opposite, which I respect that a lot. Because I, it, it could take me six months to write a lyrical song, but thirty minutes to compose an instrumental if I wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, whenever I write a lyrical song, I try to very loosely compose a melody to it, so I can come up with something on the spot when I'm performing it. So you can you can really hear that style in whenever I whenever I write something for the Jack Dunlap band. Um, if you go listen to those songs, there's there's a very minimal bass melody, and then the rest is just improvisation 
and playing stuff off the cuff, which is my favorite thing to do. <laughs> um, we actually, um, on our first album, we have a 10 minute long instrumental, uh, which is, there's no melody at all, except for just like three chords. And then the rest is just nonsense, <laughs> but it's, it's fun. And it's, it's different every time we play it, which, uh, that's what I try to do. You know, I, I feel like we, and there's nothing, I, I, I still write songs with melody. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, and you, you'll hear a lot of that on the, on the new record. There's a lot of melody on that more than stuff that I normally do nowadays. Um, but I, I try to write stuff that we can change on the spot and it still keeps the same feel that I want. It's hard to it's hard to explain. Sure, yeah, I bet. <laughs> um, yeah, but I feel like like with with composition and and with music, you should be trying to you should be you should be trying to emulate what you're feeling in the moment, or with any type with any music performance. Uh, what what does what 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 does it mean? And I I I, tr- I want to I want to capture that with very loosely composed things so that I can. I can put out what I'm feeling in the moment of that performance. Nice. Out. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, you're um, you're you, the, this album is very. There's a lot of great, great, tasteful playing on it, man. Oh, thank you. Listening to it here the last day and a half or so, really like trying to prepare for the interview and stuff like that, and it was just like, wow, these are just cool tunes. You know what I mean? Like, there's obviously the fiery playing in there, but that's something that sometimes gets lost, I think, in some instrumental recordings too is like mm-hmm. sometimes it's just like whoa <laughs> oh, <Right>. slow <laughs> down what am i what's going hey. by me i mean I don't don't get me wrong i love just ripping tunes as much as the next person but you know an album full of that is sometimes can be kind of uh tough but you know the, the, yeah. I think the melody and groove like you said sam bush the, those are the things that kind of keep you there or bring you back to repeated listens but when i when I'm listening to a bluegrass record, if an instrumental comes on and it's not like in your face, I usually skip it. <laughs> um, but if it's if it's an album of instrumentals, like uh, like like Feely's, uh, I'm blanking on the title. Oh, it's not all who wandered. Oh, sure. Album. Yeah, yeah. It's just so much, so much good stuff on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't know, I don't know what it is with bluegrass melodies. Um, <laughs> like if it's not. It is not in your face, Jim Van Cleve, uh, Clay Jones style. Right. <laughs> you know. Right. You know what I mean. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, absolutely. Oh yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So, and I, I think that's that's how a lot of non musicians look at music. Like an instrumental comes on, no matter what it is, they'll they'll just skip it if it's on the album, or or they'll stop paying attention if it's at a show. Mm-hmm. So I want to try to you know when I whenever I'm composing an instrumental now, I try to think what will capture the audience in listening to this uh, rather than just writing a melody that I think sounds good. How can I put feeling into this so that they get caught up in the moment just as I'm getting caught up in the moment in right. my performance. Do you have like a big theory background at all? Yeah. Um, I didn't get into theory until um, I was 19. And that was when I started working with a guy named Danny Nicely. Wow, yeah, I've I've got that on my notes because that's the first time I ever heard your playing was on yeah. the album uh, Chop, Shred, and Split. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was around the time that I started to get in, into theory. And um, 
at, at that point, before I started working with Danny, I started to get to, to notice a lot of the patterns in the scales and arpeggios mm-hmm. and how they started to fit together. So Danny, Danny helped push me a little further on that than, uh, than what I would have figured out on my own. Um, can you maybe break that down a little bit? I mean, obviously you can't break it down completely because you're talking years of probably <laughs> lessons. But what, what is something for maybe who's somebody who's listening to this podcast and is saying like, oh, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Okay, so so I'll so I'll talk like like we know nothing about theory. Okay, so sure. um, yeah, so yeah, so we we where where to start? <laughs> uh, I guess there's no there's no good place to really start because it all leads back into into itself. But we have you know if you if you've noticed there are twelve notes in a chromatic scale. So from those twelve notes, we break off into seven notes following certain patterns, which gives us our, our diatonic scale, or just like our G major scale or A major scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, we can break off into arpeggios, which are, which are three notes, the first note of the scale, the third note of the scale, and the fifth note of the scale, which helps us to build our chords and harmony parts and uh, even our melodies sometimes. So, so how can we figure that out? Um, and this is all stuff that I... I sort of figured out on my own, but I feel like I probably use the most mm-hmm. um, out of anything. Like Danny, Danny showed me. I guess, I guess he helped push me along. He he introduced me to whole tone scales, which um, my bandmates were not appreciative of. But <laughs> 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 um, if you're familiar with with whole whole steps and half steps, a whole a whole tone scale is where you just play whole steps. Right. And it's great. Yeah. <laughs> it's great <laughs> and it's weird. And uh and actually um that Steely song, uh is it Club Gross? Yeah. Is written in a whole tone scale. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's it's hard to it's hard to just elaborate on theory or or talk about theory. Yeah, well, you are available if people are interested, though, in this sort of stuff. And and I I believe a lot of people are because I get emails from people mm-hmm. um, asking some theory stuff every now and again. You're available for lessons online. Yes, absolutely. Awesome, and and you can get that at your what is your website? I'll have a link to it at mandolinsabeer.com as well as on the description. But what's your uh, website's name again? Is it uh, it's uh, www.jacksmandolin.com. If they want to get deeper into that theory stuff with you, that album that you did with um, Danny's great. And I, I love the other, like the, kind of like the subtitle is a mandolin player's apprenticeship, which I always thought was kind of cool. That's what it was. Um, I, Danny was approached by the Virginia Folklife Program. Um, it's based out of Richmond and Charlottesville. Uh, they, they basically, they, they find somebody that's a master of something 
And if you're familiar with Danny's playing, he's absolutely a master of the mandolin or any any type of music. Uh, he, he's he's great. He can do anything he want. Um, but he called me and was wondering if I would be interested in working with him for a year under this apprenticeship program. Oh wow! And uh, he he said that normally it's normally it's uh, just a, a master and apprentice getting together a few times and the the master showing the apprentice something uh but he didn't really want to do that he wanted to get with somebody that was that was that already knew what they were doing on their instrument and and work with them and just see what comes out of it so um we actually ended up working together for a year and a half um and at the end of it we recorded that album and uh it uh we we toured a little bit with it and uh we'll still play shows every once in a while for the album, but we uh, we wrote a bunch of the songs. Or I guess I wrote some of the songs. He wrote some of the songs, um, and we wrote at least one together. Uh, it was a yeah. We wrote the um, there's a uh, song called "Wish You Was Here," which is a tribute to the Indian mandolin player Yushrinivas, who passed away uh, not too long before we did the album. Introduced me to his playing, and uh, which which started to get me into some more world mandolin music, or just some stuff that's not Irish or bluegrass. <laughs> but uh, the, and, and of course, Danny showed me a lot of stuff. He he showed me some some different uh, some different approaches to technique and theory, and, uh, and of course, introduced me to some some cool mandolin players. But a lot of our sessions were just us getting together and jamming and. And being like, oh, hey, that was cool. Let's let's see what we can get out of that. So that was a very, that was a really cool experience. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, it's a great album too. I'm trying. Yeah, to thank the, you. The tune is a funky Wolverine breakdown. Is that? that? Yeah, yeah, that's that's one of mine. <laughs> yeah, that's a cool one, man. That one actually, I brought that one to him unfinished. Uh, it, I, all I had was the was the A part, and uh, actually, the the rhythm was never funky until until he played a funky rhythm to it, and I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> <laughs> that's cool." Uh, but I I showed him the A part uh, during one of our recording sessions, and he was like, "All right, well, why don't you finish it, and we'll work on it later." So I went home that night and finished the song. Actually, I went home that night and didn't finish the song and then i woke up early the next morning finished it and brought it to him 
and we recorded it that day. Um, but it was, I, I, I'm terrible when it, when it comes to naming things. Um, usually I name things after myself, like the Jack Dunlap band, or <laughs> I've got a couple, I've got a couple instrumentals that I named like Monterey Jack or Jack-O-Lantern, which is also on that Danny album. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, but he, he came, he came up with a couple different names and I was like, oh, I don't know. Uh, but the name of the album actually came from from the same place that the name for Funky Wolverine Breakdown came from. Uh, while we were recording the album, we recorded it in a shed out in Millwood, Virginia. And um, it when the week that we recorded it, there was this crew outside cutting up this tree. So between takes, or, or right whenever, whenever we were trying to do a take, we'd hear a chainsaw start up somewhere or, or somebody somebody, you know, doing something loud and noisy right out the window. So we had to, uh, we had to record it in very specific times where they wouldn't. Uh, So actually a lot of our recording session was just us figuring out what we were going to do while the crew was working. Um, (laughs) so that's, that's where the name of the album chop shred and split comes from because it's talking about mandolin players, what they do and we chop and we shred and we split strings, but it's also talking about the crew that was cutting up the tree outside of the studio. Um, but the one day when we were recording, we noticed that there was this wood splitter that was way louder than normal. So there is, um, they would, they would start it and it would run for 30 seconds and then it would be off for about 30 minutes. So, uh, we assumed that the wood splitter was not working right and they were trying to fix it. So, uh, Wolverine is a brand of wood splitter. So we named that one after that wood splitter, the funky Wolverine breakdown. Oh, that's great, man. Yeah, I didn't know if maybe somebody was just like a big comic book fan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I I definitely am, but it, it did not it didn't come from from Wolverine the comic book character. <laughs> yeah. You know, the other one I love on there is the opening track, that Woodpecker Polka, is another great one. Yeah, that's that's one of Danny's. That's when he introduced me to polka. He's like, "Here, I got this polka song. Here, let's, let's let's do this one." Came up with some really cool harmony stuff for that, and some diminished stuff that he throws in there. But that one's, uh, yeah, that's a good one too. A lot of people like that one. Yeah, that's a great. The whole album's great, though, man. It's, you've got a, you've got a theme going. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thanks a lot. Let's talk a little bit about your gear because one of the things before we started recording this that I was asking you about was how you got your um uh, your mandolin tone on that on this new recording because it's really really cool and i mean I, yeah obviously um i do know through through social media you i mean the tone starts at a mandolin and you did just get a new mandolin so i guess it'd be a good place to start mm-hmm. and so what's that, uh, what's, what's that axe so that's um that's a carry mandolin um i've been i've been playing uh carry mandolins for man 12 years now Oh, cool. Uh, so yeah, the guy that makes them is, is Scott Carey from Culpeper, Virginia, and I've known him since I started playing. Uh, I've always been a fan of his mandolins, and Scott's always been a really great guy and and done a, a ton of stuff for me. Um, and, uh, that's that's one that I sort of designed myself. 
we we started talking about it back in 2016, I think. Oh wow! And uh, yeah, it just started with with me going, Scott. The next mandolin you build me, I want it to have block inlay. I love block inlays, man. <laughs> They're so cool looking. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was just surfing the web one day, and uh, I, I came across this mandolin that had beautiful inlay. And I was like, oh man, I gotta have me something like that. <laughs> um, so that's, I started noticing it everywhere and I was like, all right, black and is going to be my next thing. So I was in a shop. He was, he was tu- doing a tune up on my, on my old mandolin. And, uh, I was like, yeah, Scott, black inlay. And he was like, oh yeah, that'll be cool. We'll do that. And, uh, and then we, we got to talking about design stuff. And, um, I was like, look, I want this one to be noticeably different but I don't want to lose any of that F5 style. You know, I, there's there's nothing better than a, than an F5 mandolin. Yeah, I love them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, so I I figured the best way silhouette wise to get something different would be to start with the headstock. Mm-hmm. So I, I I designed the headstock to just be a round thing instead of having the points and the scroll. Mm-hmm. And um, and of course the black inlay. Uh, and I wanted it to have a, a color, a very bold color, rather than our traditional brown or even blonde or black. So I, I went back and forth for a long time on if I wanted to have red sunburst or orange sunburst. So uh, I would I would send I would find pictures of like a reddish mandolin or an orange orange mandolin, and be like, Hey, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? And he'd be like, It all looks great. I'm like, You're not helping. <laughs> um, but finally. Towards towards the end of him building it, I decided on orange, and orange red red's always been my favorite color, so I always thought I would go with red. Mm-hmm. But we ended up going with orange, um, I think because I wanted to design it after the look of a Les Paul guitar. I was just gonna say, dude, it's it reminds me the minute I saw a picture of it online, it reminds me of like one of the coolest Les Paul bursts. Kind of that you would, or my favorite Les Paul kind of bursts anyway. That I was always like, oh, those are, I love that. And that's the first thing right. I thought of. Yeah, yeah cool. I've always thought Les Pauls looked so cool. Like, like Joe Walsh playing a Les Paul is, yeah. is one of the coolest things to me. And like, so I wanted to capture that in color. And also in, in the binding was also designed after that. Um, the binding on this mandolin is, is tortoise shell, but uh, there's no binding on the bottom like a Les Paul. Oh, cool. So I wanted, uh, so I took that from that design. Uh, and then the other thing that's different is, um, something that I stole from Dave Apollon on the, on the higher part of the fretboard. He removed some of the frets. So those high frets were easier to play. So I, um, I had the neck go up to 24 frets, but I removed 23 and 21. So I could play that D note and that E note. Oh, cool. Simpler or easier. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. that's I've, I guess I've never heard of that before, or noticed it, I should say, anyway. That's that's smart. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely uh, – it's it's a lot harder to get lost up there now. Like, if I'm just if I'm just playing and not thinking about it, I can go up there and, and hit the note that I want. I don't have to, to think about it beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it's also – it's also definitely easier to play. Uh, my other mandolin goes up to 22. Which which is a D note, so um, so I would go up there and hit that sometimes just to be just to be uh, a funny or whatever. But now I can do it and be serious with it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, what kind of like strings and picks do you use? 
Um, well, I use a blue chip picks. Uh, the style I think is TP TP sixty, mm, okay. where it's a triangle and it's one point five millimeters. Um, and then I use GHS strings. The, I think it's two seventy is the model number. I'm blanking on that right now, but whatever the medium gauge is. And um, I also really like the Americana series that they do. I oh, think that's cool. a newer thing. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's awesome. And then you were saying now the mic that you used for the recording of this, what was the uh, setup yeah. that you used for recording for the mandolin? So to record the mandolin, I just used a Audi Technica clip-on mic. And it was actually a, it's actually not an instrument mic. It's a lavalier mic um, that I, I got from a, from a friend of mine a few years ago. But I would just uh, put that in a gooseneck and put that on the mandolin. And uh, the, the reason I do that is because my rooms aren't treated for recording. I just recorded the album in my house. So I didn't want to capture the sound of the room. I just wanted to capture the sound of the mandolin. And, uh, and nowadays you can add in whatever sound you want. So as long as I have a good, clean mandolin sound, I can do whatever I want with it. Right, right. Well, it sounds cool, man. I love it. Yeah, it's just like, and, yeah. and the fact that you, I mean, I kind of figured you recorded it at home because, because of the isolation mm. sessions being the name of it. But, you know, right. that was my first question when we got on the phone, I think today was just like, hey, man, whoa, how'd you capture the tone? <laughs> you know, because again, it's yeah. just like, you know, it's, it's just multiple things. I mean, the, the whole album is really, really good. It sounds nice and full. And again, the fact that there's no guitar, you don't even really, you don't even really miss it. You don't even notice it until you're thinking about it later on. And you're like, oh, yeah. And you are a great guitar yeah. player. The first, first time I ever met you, the only time I ever met you, I think, was actually when you were playing guitar with Robert Mabe. And somebody's like, oh, that's Jack Dunlap playing. I'm like, what? You yeah. plays guitar too? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I played guitar for, uh, for a good two years and barely picked up my mandolin, actually. Oh, uh, no Guitar kidding. was my main instrument for a while, yeah. Wow. Um. But then when I when I started playing with Butch Collective, I got back into playing mandolin. I was like, well, this is much more interesting to do. <laughs> so, um, so I fell in love with it all over again. Uh, I, I still like to play guitar every once in a while. It's just not my favorite thing to do. Mm -hmm. I'd, I'd rather be playing mandolin whenever I'm playing guitar. <laughs> <laughs> and when you play live, do you play with a mic or do you play plugged in? I plug in. Uh, I use a K&K &K pickup. Um, Paired with, um, uh, at least my main my main pedals are, uh, it's a TC electronic body res, which works as a uh, compressor, mm -hmm. and it also it scoops the mids out, and uh, I also use a LR Bags pair of DI, where I just dial in the EQ that I want. Cool. Uh, but I'm, as far as the live stuff goes, I'm, I'm really happy with that setup. I've been using that same pickup for uh, five years now. Nice. Yeah, they're yeah. great, man. They, uh, I mean, mm -hmm. if you're gonna plug in, it's the, for me anyway, it's the most natural thing I found to pick up. Uh, yeah, for definitely. Yeah, like I used to have um, the LR Bags Radius pickup, mm -hmm. which it, it sounded great, but I feel like the K and K is, is just more even across the board. Like I feel like the, the LR Bags was a little bassy, which caused some feedback issues. Oh right, right. Um, yeah. So the the K and K is definitely. It sounds it sounds the best, and I've hardly had any feedback issue with it. That's awesome. Yeah, same same here. The only yeah, and you play with drums, so that that's definitely a, a, a yeah. potential issue. Well, <laughs> my drummer is very quiet. Okay, that's he's, good. <laughs> uh, yeah, he 
yeah, so that's that's one of the reasons I, I really love playing with him. Besides his his playing, he's one of the best drummers that I've ever played with. He uh, he just he knows when to play loud, and he can play. We played shows uh, where we just played completely acoustic, and it was fine. But he's uh, he's definitely he he knows he knows how to play acoustic, <laughs> which is good. I, I know what I've wrote down here, but I, I probably should ask more when we were talking about a little bit of that theory stuff. But one of the things I really, really like about your playing too is some of your note choices, especially in some of the uh, faster stuff. And I think it really uh-huh. kind of captures a little bit of that, a little bit of Thiele, a little bit of Steffi, you know, um, uh-huh. is there yeah, for, for somebody out there who wants to kind of it stretch out a little bit more in the solos and get out of, um, like the G scale. Um, I think, I guess one of the reasons why is like, you can, you can play a bluegrassy song and maintain that bluegrassy vibe while getting a little bit outside or more adventurous where I think a lot of people want to do that, but they don't really mm-hmm. know how to do that. You know what I mean? It's so easy just to play a G scale over a song. Yeah. So when I feel like a lot of bluegrass players, especially mandolin players, they they figure out the pentatonic scale how they can how they can just play over a key without having to think too much about it, mm-hmm. um, which which is fine for starting out. There's nothing wrong with that. But a lot of people do that and they stop there. So it's it, and I understand it can be hard to to break out of that. So a good way to do that is learn your arpeggios and learn. Learn how you can work your arpeggio all over the fretboard. So, for instance, if you're trying to improvise over something in G, um, learn your G arpeggio in your first position, your second position, your third position, and how you can work your way around that. And then, um, you know, C and D are the most common chord changes for for G. So, learn your C arpeggio the same way, first position, second position, third position, and D, first position, second position, and third position, and how you can how you can connect those arpeggios together. And when you can do that, start adding in those pentatonic notes again. Um, and when you feel comfortable with that, try to add in some more, some, try to get out of the pentatonic scale and more into the diatonic scale. So that's more of the, just the whole scale of all seven notes. And, and when you can do that, try your chromatic scale. See, because my theory is that there's no right or wrong notes that you can play. Mm-hmm. It's all about your presence of, of those notes and how you end your phrases. Uh, so my theory is if you, as long as you end your phrase on an arpeggio node, wherever that arpeggio, wherever that chord is, as long as you end your phrase on a note of that chord, wherever you played before that is going to sound right. It doesn't matter. Right, right. Yes. <laughs> that's that's sort of my approach to that. Stick the landing. Um, but it's all about <laughs> it's all about learning learning that stuff all over the fretboard and and how to apply it to whatever you're playing. Yeah, that's great, man. It works. It works for you for sure. Yeah, you. Your playing, <laughs> playing's like uh, adventurous, man. But you know, it's got a real cool feel to it. You know, it feels energetic and and mm-hmm. fun. You know. To me, I, I that's why I enjoy about the playing. It's just like here's a guy who's just like in the moment and just going right. for it, you know. And this is where he wants yeah. to be. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I said earlier, to me, um, um, music is an experience that should be felt. Whatever that feeling is in the moment, 
I want that to be felt in every note that I play. So when, when, you're, when you're just playing out of licks or out on the pentatonic scale, you can't capture that as well because you're only playing what you know. Mm-hmm. But if you, if you play through, if, if, you start, if you stop thinking about performing music in that way and more about performing it through the arpeggios and through the scale, um, then it opens up your ability to play outside of the box a lot more. Nice. Nice. Well, this kind of leads to, this kind of leads to um, the last two questions here of the podcast. And the first one is uh, the one I always like to ask players and is um, if you only had 10 minutes a day to work on mandolin playing, what is something that you would recommend to someone to work on to help them get better? It could be anything. So I, if, if I only have a few minutes to practice, I'll usually put on my metronome and I'll, I'll, I'll pick a key. Mm-hmm. So like, uh, let's say I want to practice in a minor and I'll just, I'll just play stuff out of a minor with the metronome. I don't, I don't have a, a structure that I'm trying to follow other than keeping up with the tempo and playing in the correct key. Um, no, that doesn't mean I'm just playing in a minor. Like I'll switch, I'll switch the chords and eventually, you know, come up with some sort of melody that I'm playing around that I've come up with on the spot. But so like I'll, I'll play, I'll play over a minor and then I might go to D major and then I might go to F and then I might go to E flat. You know, I, there's no, there's no real structure to what I'm doing. It's, mm-hmm. it's whatever I'm feeling in the moment. So I'm practicing uh, whatever I want in that moment, which helps me play what I want to play later on when I'm performing or, or writing. When you say using the metronome, that's that's a, a good thing too. A lot of people use it. So how about when you, because you do have some fast chops, um, how do you work? How do you work those up? Some of those licks, or, where, or when you learned some of those licks that were fast, did you work on them slow and just repeat them over and over? Did you just go for it right away and blast them out at you know super fast BPM? <laughs> so or? when 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 you're first starting to work on speed you have to go slow. Uh, if you, if you try to just jump into it, you're going to do something wrong, uh, either technical wise or, or you'll, you're mostly technical wise. You're going to pick up a bad habit somewhere. So if, if you start slow and, and put all of your focus into, you know, the single notes that you're playing, then you can start picking the metronome faster and faster. Uh, I usually recommend to my students just try to go 10 beats faster. And if you can, if you, if you struggle at 10 beats, then try to do five. And if you struggle at five, go one. You know, it's, it can be a long process, but it's worth it in the long run. And the more you do that, and the more you increase your technical abilities, the faster that process will go. And that's the other thing, too, is like even practicing slow. You just surprise mm-hmm. yourself, like even, you know, like. Yeah, I, 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 still, I still go through, and uh, especially when I'm warming up. Practice. I'll go through things at 80 beats a minute just to make sure that my my hands are warmed up before I get into playing. <laughs> right. Because I, I feel like I feel like that's another thing that that gets uh, ignored a lot in practice. And when people talk about practice, is is the warm up method. Like, what do you do before you start to practice? How do you practice to practice? <laughs> <laughs> um, right. The practicing of practicing. 
Right. <laughs> Actually, I think that might be a book, The Practice of Practice. <laughs> I think right. That, I think that is a book. I, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if some, some professor's written it somewhere. <laughs> do, you have a, uh, do you have a favorite fiddle tune that you like playing right now? Uh, Coat Frosty Morn has been oh. my favorite fiddle tune for a while. I love a that good one. tune. Yeah. Yeah, I love the, I love the chord walk up to the end. It's my favorite part. Do you have a favorite version? Uh, any version that is being played in front of me. <laughs> any Adam Steffi version. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, Adam Steffi or it doesn't matter what mandolin player now. Yeah, yeah it's so great. What a cool tune. And then the final question, man, it's mandolins and beer. Do you have a, uh, a particular favorite beer that you enjoy playing or when you're playing or anytime? Uh, I've been, uh, I got really into stouts last October and uh, I've still have been experimenting with some different stouts. I, uh, I played this brewery up in Wisconsin and they had a vanilla stout that was amazing. And I've just been, I've sort of been chasing that taste ever since. Nice. You remember the brewery? <laughs> It was um, Stone Arch Brewery in Appleton, Wisconsin. Uh, there's a lot of good breweries up in my area, though. I'm uh, I'm drinking some stuff from uh, it's called uh, Old Busthead, which is in uh, Fauquier County, Virginia, which is about an hour from me. But oh, they've cool. got a lot of really good stuff. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Now's the yeah. time. Now's the time to uh, to to enjoy different beers. There's so many breweries out there. It's crazy. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And so many good yeah. ones. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right, yeah, it's hard big... to keep up with all of them. Uh, yeah, I know. It's almost impossible, <laughs> man. Well, mm-hmm. Jack, it has been an absolute pleasure talking with you, dude. Um, congratulations on the new album. Everybody can um, it, it, they can purchase it now via your website, and it's slowly coming out to streaming services. That's right. And it's jacksmandolin.com. Jacksmandolin right. with an S? Yes. Perfect. Awesome, man. Dude, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thanks for having me again. So there you go. Jack Dunlap. Great new album. The Isolation Sessions. Go to jacksmandolin.com. I have a link at Mandolin's of Beer as well. Be sure to pick up his brand new album. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Cheers. Take care of yourself. Next week, I'm Ray Lester. And if you get a chance, please check out my Patreon page and the new feature. Cheers, y'all.